this morning I want to share with you as we continue on this journey, because God just continues to lay in my heart that we must be a people of practical faith. We must be. It can no longer be that we'll just get by and play faith. We should never have been doing that to start with, ever. And that's part of the reason we are where we are today in relationship to our culture and our society. I believe we might as well just raise our hand and say it's our fault, part of it. Part of it was set in motion a long time ago because of sin. And we don't want to recognize that in the world today, especially those who are not of the faith. The last thing they want to talk about is sin. But that was put in place a long time ago. But we have been remiss by not living the faith that God has caused us to live, by not being the body of Christ as God has caused us to, or called us to be. That we cannot just rest comfortably on our padded pews, but we must be totally intentional and involved in sharing the love of Jesus to impact people's lives. Not for our glory and honor, not for statistics for us or to lift this church up, but to lift Jesus Christ up and to have an eternal impact on people's lives forever, whether it's here in Haiti or anywhere else. And it doesn't always happen. In fact, it happens the least amount of time in the church building itself. The gospel really has its impact when we leave this place, if we take it with us. This morning, we're going to look at practically speaking. So hang with me. Two weeks ago, we talked about praising God for the good as well as the adversity. We looked at Job chapter 2, verse 10, where his wife was questioning Job, and, and Job responded and said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? We need to understand that God is God over all, God Almighty. He is in control, and yet he gives us free will to follow him and to be his servants in action. Last week, we looked at disciples making disciples making disciples, and we can never talk and teach enough about the discipleship making process, and that all of us, all of us are involved in that and enrolled in that as a part of the army of God. There's no out at an age or anything else. Folks, we're all in and must be all in in this regard. I heard from a daughter this week that after listening to last week's sermon, her mother said, you know, I feel really guilty after listening to that sermon. And she questioned her mom. She said, well, why? She goes, I feel like I need to be doing more. And she goes, but mom, you need to look at why or what you are doing underneath the circumstances of your life right now. And if, if it's bothering you, you need to find out what God wants you to do. Great answer. Great answer. Because there's no oh well in the service to God. No matter who we are or what our circumstances are, if the Spirit of God is moving us, we need to figure out why. And I want to tell you, people say, you know, your, your congregation is a little bit older. Yes, it is. But we are seeing young and old come to East Union because the Spirit of God is drawing us here to do what he wants us to do. But understanding that we might have some on the upper echelon of the age bracket, saints, you're still not off the hook. There's still something for you to do. And you must be as engaged as the youngest person that attends here. 
Love, 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 we talked about last week. It's not about the externals that we do, but it's driven from our love from within. We need to be concerned about the internal being impacted by the love of Jesus himself so that we then allow our lives to be driven intentionally by God's love. Love God. Love people. Love comes first. Love must drive us and keep the love of God and others at the forefront of our lives always. The goal is to see people transformed by the power of God's word, not by a program or a building or something we do here in and of our own strength, but rather we want to see people's lives transformed by what? The power of God. Because when you're transformed by the power of God, it's forever. It's for eternity. When we are impacted by people, it might be for a long period of time, but there's less likelihood of it lasting for eternity because it was man-impacted. But when God impacts us, and most of you in this room could attest to that, witness to that, and give testimony to that, that when God touched your life whenever he did, it changed you forever, amen? And if it didn't, it's not his fault. It's our fault because we stop listening or start going on a different path. I'm going to make a clarification about last week, too. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, as I used it last week to drive all of us to service, that specific scripture is speaking specifically to the eldership and the fact that they are driven and required and will be held to a higher standard if they, if they don't do what God's Word says to do. But understanding, taking a step back, if the leadership of our church are following the will of God and the motivation of God and God's word, then we, the people, we, the sheep, are going to follow them. So we must continue to move on. This morning, I want us to think about this practically speaking, practicality. It hits our life a lot. We talk about it. Oh, let's be practical. Moving to action. I looked it up. I looked the definition up. Practically speaking, it means moving to action, stepping out, engaging, being intentional in our being a disciple, modeling what a disciple is, and in making disciples. We have to be all in, folks. It's not just a Sunday thing. The definition from the, the Webster Dictionary, I believe it is, it says this about practical. Of or concerned with the actual doing of use of something rather than with theory and ideas. So we can have all the theory and ideas we want, but we got we to gotta get beyond the theory and the ideas, and we got to get practical about our faith in the actual doing of it. It's of an idea, plan, or method likely to succeed or be effective in real circumstances or feasible. It's practical. It's feasible. It's also suitable for a particular purpose. It's practical in this realm, you might say, of a person sensible and realistic in their approach to a situation or problem. Where we get beyond just thinking about what we should do in this problem, we get down to doing something about it and something that's practical that moves us forward in our faith. So nearly it ends up when the definition says it's so nearly the case it can be regarded as so. Something practical is as so. With that in mind, with that definition in mind, let's move forward. Think for a moment with me. 
Have your Bibles ready. We're going to look at the Gospels here, several of them. Think for a moment with me. It's important that we always look to the Scriptures. What does the Bible say? Because it's what the Bible says that matters. So look with me, if you will, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Understand, the Bible says this. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, whatever he says to you, do it. We know the rest of the story. But the Bible says what? Jesus went to a wedding. How many of you have been to a wedding? How many of you were drugged to weddings as kids? Not drugged, but pulled. <laughs> Got to be careful what you say. As kids, my brother and I were enticed by the, the mints and the cake and the peanuts. Back then, that's all you had. You didn't have these big spreads. But do you remember what they used to do in weddings of old? You not only got to go and have the mints and the peanuts and the wedding cake and the punch, but they opened every gift that was brought. That was not in my brother and I's plan, and I'm so glad we've changed that. But Jesus went to a wedding. Jesus was practical. He, his mom, and the disciples went to a wedding. Think about that for a minute. The Son of God, the incarnate King of kings, Lord of lords, took time to go to a wedding. Now, we know as we read the rest of the story that a miracle took place. But I think sometimes we, re, we, we miss the practicality of Jesus' life while he was on earth because we get caught up in the miracle. Now, I'm not short-selling the miracle, folks. It's pretty incredible. But Jesus was fully divine and fully human. Even though he was fully divine... He was fully human and living a practical Look with me, John chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Jesus went to church. How many of you have been to church? Now, if you all don't raise your hand, there's a problem. <laughs> Jesus went to church. But when he went to church, what did he do? While he was there, he engaged, in, <coughs> excuse me, he fully engaged in ministry. He cleaned up a mess. Yes, he's divine. But he was also human. And as we look at the life of Jesus, Beyond the miracles and all the other incredible things that he revealed himself to us, don't miss the fact of his, his living the human life so that we could see an example for how we must live our lives. He went to church. It was important for him. 
And while he was there, he didn't just check the box of attendance. He got down and got dirty and got involved so that when he was there at church, church became what it needed to be. That's what the Bible says. Look with me in John chapter 4, 7 through 10. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, as I thought about this passage, I knew what I, I, where I think God wanted me, but as I, I just couldn't figure out the right words to say this, because I knew the way I wanted to say it, it was going to come across wrong. But I'm just going to say it anyway, because that's just me, right? You're all used to that, right? So we found out that Jesus went to a wedding like you and I do. Jesus went to church like you and I do. Well, you know what? Jesus had a drink with a, with a woman. I thought, man, that just doesn't sound right. And I thought, well, Jesus had water with a woman. That just didn't sound right. But the practicality of it is that Jesus met people where they were. He met them just as if we should meet them, whether it be at McDonald's or Walmart or the gas station or the park or wherever it is. We are called to minister as Jesus ministered. He met people one-on-one. It wasn't all about the big revivals only. He cared for every sheep, and he met them right where they were, one-on-one. And what did he do when he met them? He ministered to them. He didn't just let it be a fellowship time, and oh, the weather's great outside. No, he took the time to not only be there with them and to show them that they were important to him, but he took the time to share the word of God and minister to them. Just like you and I are called to do. Look at John chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blamed, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain times and certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring of the, up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get in the well? Or do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Jesus visited the sick. It was important. Even though Jesus was God Almighty and the Son of God, and and boy, we could have thought of a lot of other important events that he could have maybe had an impact on a lot more people, Jesus knew the importance of visiting those who were ill. And while he was visiting them there, he healed them and he ministered to them. Practical. Practical ministry at work. 
practical ministry that you and I can relate to. It's not just the preacher's job. We are all one body in Christ. We are all called to follow in service of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus went to a wedding. The Bible says he went to church. The Bible says he met people one-on-one. The Bible says he visited the sick. Look with me, if you will, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, says this. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. He was short. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble. This is the other people. Can we relate? Saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today... Today, salvation has come to this house because he, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus went to people's homes. Remember what what that was all about, about two years ago? Did you go to other people's homes? We did, yes? You haven't forgot, have you? Turn the air conditioner down. It's too warm in here. People don't sleep. It's what we did. It's changed over the course of time. Years ago, when we were little boys, it didn't matter. You just called somebody up and said, hey, we're on our way over. There was no hurry. Wait, don't come over. We got to clean up. There was no, oh, what you're bringing over won't go with what we got to have for dinner. It didn't matter. It was food. We had food and fellowship and fun because we went to each other's house to visit and to fellowship. And it was a blessing to all of us because when the hard times come, it was those same people that we went at the, at the spur notice and, and had fun with that they were there when we needed them at the moment we needed them. We cannot let a pandemic stop us from visiting other people's homes. Dirty, clean, or whatever. We've got to get back to the assembly of being a people of relationships. And not fear. Because that's what God made us. And even more so, that's what the Bible says Jesus did. How many of you want to be like Jesus? Amen. Raise those hands. Otherwise, we've got a lot more work to do. and We're going to be here past lunch. We want to be like Jesus. Some say, oh, Mark, that's not possible. Yes, it is, because the Bible tells us it's possible, not because of anything you and I can do, but when we, re- when we give ourselves up to live by the power of the Spirit versus the power of the flesh, God will honor that and strive to mold us and make us into be all that he wants us to be. That's what the Bible says. Jesus went on picnics 
in Luke chapter 9, verse 10 and on. Guess what? He went on picnics with 5,000 people and no picnic basket. But he found some people that had picnic baskets and they ate and they conversed and they followed Jesus. Jesus organized door-to-door -door evangelistic campaigns. Did you know that? In Luke chapter 10, he called 70 together and sent them out two by tour, two by two to doors to share the love of Jesus. And then he didn't just stop there and say, go do it. Good luck. When they, he waited, and when they all came back, he celebrated. They celebrated the incredible things that happened on the evangelistic campaign that Jesus organized. That's cool, isn't it? Because that's what the Bible says. Jesus had time of fellowship over a meal with many friends, including the upper room. Jesus also preached in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Matthew, or we know from the scriptures and the gospels that Jesus also cried and wept. We know that he reached out to those that, that were lost and he loved them, loved them from the purity of his heart. And yes, Jesus died. He was buried and he rose again. But we, not, we must not miss the example of our discipleship he modeled lived out, was engaged in, intentionally did so that we would go and do likewise. Not just read about it, not just shake our heads in agreement, but step forward and say, here I am, send me. Use me, Lord. Minister through me. I'm yours. I'm all in with you. Why? So that people will be transformed by the power of God.